Good morning, church. I want to talk to you guys about something, one of my favorite things to study in His Word. I want you to, if you have your Bible, or you can look up at the screen, the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Since you have been raised, present tense, right here, right now, as a believer, you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Or you may have read it, you may be reading it in your Bible, above, look above, look up. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Verse 2, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life, I love the way the NLT says this scripture, you died to this life and your real life, your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And verse 4, And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, this is the day we're still looking forward to. This verse is talking about Him coming again. When He is revealed, you will share in all His glory. Just want to talk to you today about life. Your life begins when you die. Death is really the beginning to life. Jesus is trying to, when he's here on the earth, he's trying to get the people, his people, the Jews who God had given all of these things as as uh, a structure and as um, uh, shadows and types, we call them in the word, all of these things in the Old Testament, all of this stuff, the sacrifices in the days and, uh, and observing times and even, even I was looking in the Old Testament about the Passover and all of these things were all pointing towards Christ. And then just as we sang about the, we sang that song, Mary, did you know, did, did the world know who Jesus was? Finally, Jesus comes and fulfills all of those types and shadows and all of that comes into Christ. But then Jesus is talking. He's talking to the people who should have known what life was all about, that all of these things were pointing towards Christ, pointing towards eternity. And we find that he, in Matthew chapter 19, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus has an encounter. Actually, hold your place there. I'm going to do the classic preacher stuff here. I have a little notepad. I never do that. 
I want you to turn to the book of John first. Just feel like I need to go here first. The book of John, chapter 3. And it says in John chapter 3, verse 1, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. Now the Pharisees, they knew the word better than we know it today. They knew the scriptures. That's all they did, just studied it frontwards and backwards, literally backwards. There's a joke in that because the Jews, they read backwards. And you backwards to us, that is, right? And um, so Jesus is having an encounter with one of these guys who just knows the word. And it says, after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. So he had some revelation. He had his eyes partially open. He saw that Jesus was for real, that he was who he, he said he was. And he said, your miraculous signs our evidence that, you, that God is with you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now he replies, what do you mean? Exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, or flesh produces flesh, right? We can only bring flesh. We can only produce something human out of our, out of our strength, our abilities. We can only bring something human. He said, but... The Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Now, Nicodemus, you can see here, is a little bit confused. Jesus continues, don't be surprised. You can see Jesus looking and you can read into Jesus looking into Nicodemus right now as he continues. Don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Jesus doesn't have to read our facial expressions. He doesn't have to read us confused. He's reading our spirits. We're questioning inside. He says, the wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked, and Jesus replied, you are a respected teacher, Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you. We tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? I want you just to note that here. No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on, the, on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Jesus has this encounter 
with humanity. He's trying to teach a concept. It was kind of, it wasn't supposed to be a new concept. Really, David walked in the Spirit. We have Elijah and Elisha. These guys walked in the Spirit. We have, uh, we were talking about Abraham and Moses recently from the summer into the early fall. And these guys were really led by the Spirit. They just didn't even know it. Jesus really is not talking about a brand new concept, but maybe the language that he's using is confusing for them. And if you look in Colossians chapter 3, what Jesus is pointing to is a different way of thinking, a different way of looking. What Jesus is battling here when he came, the biggest thing that he was battling was that everything was in their flesh. Everything was human. Everything was out of their own strength. Everything was what they were capable of doing and capable of being. And Jesus is trying to break that. And really, what he was trying to say was, there is no life. He said, you must be born again. Now, the concept was, is outside of our mental reality. We are thinking, well, that's impossible. It's impossible to be born again. But Jesus was talking about a spiritual encounter. We as Christians are aware of what Jesus was talking about, aren't we? But we see that there is something that happens. There's something that needs to happen where your mind begins to change. You no longer look and think like you used to, right? Our body, when we said yes to Jesus Christ, we didn't get a new body yet, did we? Anybody here with a brand new body? Anybody would like to upgrade right now? Early upgrade? <laughs> Early upgrade. It's the body 7.0 just came out. If you go now, promotion, early upgrade. We will get a new body. Jesus promises us that. You can see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we don't have time for today, but we're going to get a brand new body. That's an amazing thing. One that never runs out, never gets tired, can go, 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 go. I'm going to take a trip to Mars. The Lord just, just felt like going and seeing that. I haven't been there yet. And never be tired. Go. You don't need to eat. You're just going to eat for pleasure, just for, to have a good time with God. And we'll look forward to that day. We should look forward to it. Jesus is talking about a brand new way of thinking, of looking. Right here, right now. Your body will come. The, the spiritual body that you are promised will be here one day. But you have this gap of time from when you say yes to Jesus until your physical death. We don't actually die, right? Only this body does. Your spirit is immediately right here, right now. When you say yes to Jesus, it becomes eternally bound with Christ. That's what we're promised here. It says in Colossians 3, it says, your, you died. Everybody say, I died. It's already happened. It's a past tense reality as a Christian. I have died 
and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. I was just meditating on this concept that God doesn't, you hear me say this often, so hopefully it's not too repetitive that you guys are manly, he just says it all the time, but God doesn't need any help being God. God is God all by himself. He was God before us and he will be God after us. And I just trying to wrap my head around how to bring this out, but we get the advantage. We get this amazing promise by joining with him. We get to become one with the God who was before and is forever. It's only when we say yes and choose, but he doesn't change. He was still God before, and he will still be God after. He is always God. And I was thinking how we are actually part of his plan in this life. When, when Jesus was talking to them, he was saying, listen, if you can be born again, if you can realize that you need to die right here, right now, how do you do that? How is that possible? You need to get rid of your mind, and I'm going to give you a new mind. Get rid of your mind. Your body is not going, so what actually has died? What part of you? Right? Science today is starting to dismantle our bodies like never before. They're, I mean, they're replacing everything. You can get different hearts. You can get different, I mean, pretty much your whole body now, joints and all kinds of stuff. We're going to be robots soon. The only thing I've never seen transplanted is a brain. I don't know where you are inside of you, if they're able to move all that stuff around and still you. But somewhere deep inside your mind is the real you, right? I mean, a person who is, who is in, uh, close, to a, close to a vegetated state, but they can still, just a, they can still communicate. You ever see that just someone who has, has no function of their body whatsoever, but the person is still there. It's not your body. It's a mind thing. What Jesus was talking about and what Colossians is talking about is a death of your mind. That's the real you, is right here. This thing right here. This thing gets in between us and God. And when this thing, when we are willing to let this thing lower it down, we lower the guards down and we let God in, he starts doing something. We're going to look at a few scriptures Sorry, guys, I'm bouncing around a little bit, but I'm, my thoughts are funneling somewhere. They are going somewhere. Back to my, this concept. God doesn't need help being God. We can get to choose, but he will still use you. He is still orchestrating. He is still doing things in the whole universe. I just was, well, while they were playing that song, I was thinking about how, man, Stars are in, they're in like these eternal circles, all of them. And there's just these ever-winding circles and patterns. And in order for that star to line up to see Christ that day, and um, science has found that it was most likely an actual real star. We only know that today because we can rewind space, as weird as that is. 
we can look forward and we can rewind the patterns of the stars. And there was a star that appeared right there. And so um, the amazing thing is that God had started this plan for that star to line up at that moment had begun way before the actual moment. And I started talking a little bit about that last week with Squanto, how the reason we need to be thankful for what God has done in our life and what he's doing is because way, way, way before you determine, I'm going to do something for you, God, way before you say, I want to, I mean, I'm going to go out, I'm going to, we want religious freedom, we want to be your people, way before you make that decision thinking that, okay, God, you need to back me up because I'm doing great things for you, before you could ever even think about what you're going to do for God, he already had stuff lined up for you to walk into. And there's this concept that whether you get into God's plan, whether you decide to die and become one with his plan or not, God's plan is still moving. He is still doing something, and it's not... Uh, reliant upon your approval, your commitment. We see all the time, there's, there's, there's two philosophies that I've heard growing up in Christianity, and it's this. You have a very specific job to do, and if you don't do it, no one can do it. There's that idea, which is true, but that's really only for your benefit. But then there's the other concept that I've also was raised. You hear both sermons your whole life, and it's that if you don't do it, God will get somebody else to do it. And really both are true. A lot of times God would have preferred to, you know, it looks like, I mean, who knows? God knows. It looks like this person, when you read the scriptures, would have been the better fit and God made a way where there seemed to be no way. Well, who knows? Maybe that was God's plan all along. But the point is, is that when we join up with his plan, we get the benefit, but his plan is not really relying upon us. And you have a couple examples. You look over into Exodus, and you have this this story of Pharaoh. You have the Israelites had come down into Egypt, right? We know the story. Now it's time to go. God has heard the cries of the people. It's time to go. And God, it says that in Exodus that he hardened. Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh was not worshiping God, nor is there any account whatsoever that Pharaoh ever did worship God. And God tells Moses, I'm going to go send you to Pharaoh. He's going to not, he's not going to let the people go. I'm going to prove who I am through a little bit of a situation, a little bit of a story, right? We know the story. I'm going to prove who I am through this story. And we see that Moses comes back to God because even though God preps him, now Moses, uh, Pharaoh starts making things harder just as God knew that he would. God, God knew what he was doing. God was going somewhere. God was moving somewhere. And he didn't need Pharaoh to say, yes, God. Pharaoh was never, ever lined up with God's will, and yet God's will was being worked through him. Whether you say yes to Christ or not, whether you decide to be part of his plan or not, God's plan will keep moving. God is still going to do what he's going to do. And we see that finally, 
He brings the people out just as he said he would. The hardening caused the Pharaoh and the people to be so disgusted because of the levels, and it took because it was so longer, and finally Pharaoh even loses his own son. And so they, not only do they, do they leave, not only are they freed, but the people start throwing everything they have at them. They just start giving them everything and say, go. And then we have this other story. It's in the book of Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22, verse 21. We have the story of this guy named Balaam. And this guy named Balaam, he is being offered money to put a curse on God's people. And he really wants to take this deal because it was a lot of money. He could care less about God. He just wants to fulfill his own desires, his own flesh. So it says, we have this amazing little story here in Numbers 22, verse 21. So the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey. He's on his way. He's gonna go do what he's gonna do. He's gonna curse the people and... And uh, he doesn't care what God has to say about it. Well, God still cares. And he started off with the Moabite officials in 22. But God was angry with Balaam that Balaam was going. So he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. And as Balaam and two servants were riding along, verse 23, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey bolted off the road into a field. But Balaam beat it and turned it back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze by and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved farther down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time when the donkey saw the angel and lay down under Balaam, in a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. Did you guys see that? Now this donkey here, was this, did this donkey say, yes, Lord, use me? Oh, yes, Lord, use me. He's a donkey. What have I done to you that deserves you beating me three times? It asked Balaam. <laughs> Verse 30. But I... Oh, verse 29. You have made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. So Balaam's going to have a conversation with him. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. But the donkey speaks again. But I am the same donkey you have ridden all your life, the donkey answered. Have I ever done anything like this before? No, Balaam admitted in verse 31. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. This story is a story about an animal, a donkey, with the word of the Lord. We are only 
who God lets us be. We are only who God decides to use us to be. He will use a donkey if he needs to. God is God, and his ways are not our ways. But by his grace and his mercy, when we let God, when we let God have our will, then he was going to use you. You don't even know what he's using you for anyway. He's using the world all the time, right? The world around us is being used. They don't even know it. By being the more worldly they get, God is using it in me to want to want Christ more. Is anybody else here the same? The more worldly that they get, God uses that to stir up something in me that wants God more and wants to get the message out more. Isn't that amazing? God is, is doing things through you, but when you let your will line up with his, there's only one extra benefit. God's still going to be God. The extra benefit is that you get to share in God's glory. And that's by his grace that we get that. It says that when we led our life, Colossians 3 verse 4, when we identify with him, when we start looking up, when we set our sights on him, we've surrendered us. Verse 5, we've put to death our earthly sinful nature. And in verse 4, we get to share in all his glory. I believe that the Lord just wanted to speak something today, that he wants us to remember who he is. Last week, as I said, we talked about being thankful. There's like these steps we go through with God, coming to God. We come to acknowledgement first. That's the first step. Then as I preached last week, you got to come to this place of thankfulness to realize I'm thankful for you. And then once you do that, then your mind, it just starts settling. It just starts opening. You start giving more and more over to God. He still was going to use you whether you liked it or not, whether you chose to or not. He's using, man, he used all kinds. I just used a couple examples, Pharaoh, but he also used Cyrus. He also used nations as whole. God is still God. He will use you whether you like it or not to bring about his grand purpose and plan. I just feel like the Lord was speaking this this week, that he is going to use you whether you want him to or not. But if you let him, if you surrender your will in it, then you get the benefit of his glory. We get to sit with Christ at the right hand of God when we let our will go. And the Bible says that there is no such thing as life without him. It's not really life. It's not life. It's fake. It's not real. This world is, it says, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. The reality is for this world is that it's an instantaneous. It's a gratify me now world. They can't they don't want to let go. They can't let this mind go because it's trying to fulfill its desires right now. 
I'm thinking about now, I'm thinking about here, and I don't want to let go. I don't want to open up. I want, the Bible says, look at, we can look over here. I want the world. I want this reality I'm in. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds. But look it, there's a blinding, but it's of those who don't believe. There's a blinding that comes, there's a blinding that's there, but it's of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. There is a blindness that comes from not believing God, from not letting your mind. You end up wanting this world. You want to fulfill the plans of Satan without even realizing it. Do you ever look around you sometimes at the world and your heart breaks for them? It's not judging them. It's not to, to hate them. But that how could you be so evil? Why, what in you wants to do something so evil? And it's because a blindness comes. So it's not only that we want to set our realities. We want to look to heaven. We want to look to Christ. We want to to realize that that's real life, but that without him, there's a blindness that comes. It says in 1 Corinthians, just a couple chapters over, in chapter 2, one book over rather, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. In contrast to the mind of this world that's blind, in contrast to the mind that is unwilling to surrender, that then is blind, and with that blindness, the devil just does whatever he wants through them. In contrast, we, it says, who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? We've looked at the scripture a couple times in the, in recently. We understand these things, but we understand these things for we have the mind of Christ. Our mind understands. I, I love this because I've been saying recently that as God doesn't need help being God, but we have this amazing, this amazing relationship with Him where an understanding does start to come. You've heard, I've said this recently that we get to understand. We do get to see. We start seeing his plan. We start seeing his purpose. We can start understanding why he's putting some things together. We're never, I, as like I said, I've been saying this recently, we're never going to understand it fully, but we get to start to see. We get to start to see the pieces coming together. We get that by having our mind in Christ. It says, in, on verse 14, people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand 
what the Spirit means. Jesus telling us in Matthew that we need to be born again, that this mind has to die. It has to lay down. Your mind cannot go with Christ. It cannot be with the Lord. Your mind will blind you. It will keep you. It will stop you from knowing Christ. But when we get the mind of Christ, we get to understand. We walk in the spirit. We are spiritually minded. And because of that, that means that now when we look up, going back to Colossians 3, when we are looking up, when our mind is Christ-focused, Christ-centered, it is not our will, it's not our way, it's not us, it's Him, we start looking at the world differently. We start planning our days differently. We raise our children differently. Differently, We look at the world around us differently because our mind is no longer our mind. That mind has died and we have received the mind of Christ. I want you to look now over at Matthew chapter 19. I'm finally ready for this. I wanted to give you some groundwork. just want you to look over here at Matthew chapter 19. The Lord begins in our life when we end. Once we come to the end of our strength, once we come to the end of our abilities, when your mind, when who you are ends, that's where the Lord can, can say, okay, can I be God now? It has to be that way. You have to lay you down. When we try to do it in our strength, God will let us. He's still doing stuff behind the scenes. He's still working out a plan. God will still use all of those things to get to His end goal. But when we are trying to do in our strength, we are not letting God. We are not letting Him. When we die and Christ takes control, that's when we get to, we're doing it in His strength. We get the rewards and the gain and the glory that comes with Christ, which is eternal. Matthew 19, verse 16. It says, Someone came to Jesus with this question, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied, what else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. 
Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God everything is possible. Then Peter said to him, We've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, this is Colossians 3, the Son of Man sitting on his throne, you who have been my followers will also sit, you who have given up everything, you who have kept following me, you will also sit where I'm seated, 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 sitting, two words, where I'm seated. You get to sit with me on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many are the greatest. Many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. God, Pharaoh was king, really, of the whole world. If Satan was ever in someone before the Antichrist, Pharaoh would have been one of them. King of the world, ruler of the world, greatest then, least important now. God is still God. God is going to do what he's going to do. But when we give up everything, when we lay down our life, when we choose to die, when it right to your mind, your possessions are one thing, but your possessions really are a reflection of your heart. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're not talking about this beating heart in your body, right? We can replace that. Whoever you are inside of you, that heart in you, that heart, he, this young man was not willing to die. What he was showing in this small story is that he was unwilling to lay down and die. And when you refuse to die, Jesus said, I can't give you life. I can't give you eternal life. A death has to occur in here. You have to lay it down. And when you do, Jesus promises again, just as Colossians 3 promises us, and there's other confirmations of this, when you align with his plan and his will, and you choose to die, God will use you I'm going to say it again, whether you like it or not. You've heard that plenty of times today. He will use you whether you like it or not. But when you let God do it, then we get to sit with him. We get to be with him. Not just on this earth, which is temporary and very short and very small, but for eternity. 
Just felt like I needed to share that today. We just, Lord, we thank you. We praise you that you are God. Thank you, Lord, that you are bringing us somewhere. You are taking us, Lord. There is an end goal. There's an end game for each of us and for this church. And Lord, we thank you that ultimately we will sit with you for eternity. We get to have your glory, Lord. We get to be part of that for eternity. And that's an amazing gift, Lord, we're thankful for right here, right now, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would help us, show us, Lord, inside, Lord, the areas that haven't died yet, the areas, Lord, where we haven't given up yet, the areas, Lord, where we're not willing to lay down. Lord, show us those places. Lord, the lack of commitment to you, Lord, there's always those little things in in every one of us, Lord, that we hide. Lord, search us and seek for those things in us, Lord. Reveal them to us and take them out of us, Lord. We want Lord, as your word says, to be fully dead. We don't need this body because this body is not going to go with us anyway. We don't need this. We want the one that lasts forever. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.